Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be interviewing Talia Batista about a pro-life victory at the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. I bet there's a sentence you didn't expect to hear. Talia filed a human rights complaint against the Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly Ryerson University, and the Toronto Metropolitan Student Union, formerly the Ryerson Student Union, alleging discrimination on the base of her pro-life creed. A combined preliminary summary was held to examine in part the, quote, threshold question of whether the applicant's pro-life belief system constitutes a creed for the purpose of the code. And on January 27, 2023, the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario ruled that, quote, I find that Talia has established her pro-life stance, is a tenet of her creed founded in the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. The claim against Toronto Metropolitan University and the Student Union will now proceed to a full hearing. Her legal counsel stated that, quote, to finally have a decision from the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal recognize this fact, recognize that the pro-life worldview is a creed within the meaning of the Ontario Human Rights Code is truly precedent-setting and groundbreaking. And so without further introduction from me, here is Talia Batista and our conversation on what she has endured at the hands of this university, what she is doing about it, and why this presents an opportunity for all pro-lifers. All right, Talia, maybe start off by uh, telling our listeners how you got involved in the pro-life movement to begin with. Okay, so I kind of have always been pro-life, but I grew up in a country where abortion is heavily restricted and not very common. So when I moved to Canada to start school, I was kind of just shocked by how prevalent, how common abortion is and how few people were speaking about it. Um, I remember seeing our display on, actually, so I studied business at my business school and was seeing a display on workplace injuries, um, walking to class and thinking of how, if it was like the same graph of pictures about pre-born children, how we'd never be able to display it, display it, um, walking to class, everyone had to see it. Um, So through my sister, I got connected with and with others who were active in the pro-life movement. I started just um, seeing how I could volunteer and share this message. So then as a student at Ryerson, the natural place to go to to share this message was on campus with my fellow students. And so your involvement in the pro-life movement on campus in Ryerson, for those listening, Ryerson University is in Toronto. Uh, What kind of uh, involvement did you have in the pro-life movement on campus? So... At Ryerson, it's a really interesting situation because when I started trying to figure, okay, I want to connect with other pro-lifers on campus, I discovered that we didn't have a pro-life club because the student union would ban any clubs that say they are or may be perceived to be pro-life. Um, so my approach was very much the fact that student union won't let us have a club doesn't mean I still can't reach out to connect with other pro-lifers. And it doesn't mean I can't reach out to my classmates who are at risk of having abortions themselves. So I just started connecting with others at Ryerson as well as other campuses um, to see how we could bring the message to the Ryerson campus. And so what kind of conversations were you having on campus with fellow Ryerson students? So I think the conversations we were having on campus with Ryerson students are very similar to conversations that we'd have elsewhere in Toronto. Um, A lot of conversations just about 
who should get human rights and obligation to protect those who are vulnerable. The thing that was different about Ryerson is that we had from the student union, student union um, paid staff, as well as student union representatives and volunteers, a very, very hostile reaction from the get-go where they um, very much want to shut down any conversation on abortion and were willing to break the law in order to do so. So did you ever see anybody change their mind about abortion while you were having conversations? Yes, for sure. Um, I can think of probably one of the experiences on, at Ryerson that struck, stuck with me the most is speaking with some um, a girl who was too young to be in university. Um, it was either a week before or a week after her 16th birthday. And she approached me while her holding a sign of a child who was killed in killed by abortion in the second trimester, she started asking me of if that's really what it looks like. And speaking with her, I found out um, that she previously had an abortion. Um, and I also found out that she was currently pregnant and expecting her second child. And her parents were very much pushing her to abort. So I was able to just connect with her, connect with her just on the immense loss that she was that she faced of her first child because of the immense pressure that she was un under being a young mom, as well as just encourage her. Um, but in a conversation, she said she did not want to choose the same thing for her second baby. Um, and that conversation, I think, stuck with me so much because so often we hear, well, we shouldn't be showing these images because it might be women who are post-abortive who might see them. And women who are post-abortive, they are also deserving of healing and help. And if we just say, okay, you've had one abortion, we're not going to reach out to you. We put them both at a place where they're very likely to become pregnant again and be facing the same decision with their second child. And also where they may not know that this resources actually exist for people who've experienced abortions. So you were doing this activism, you were having conver uh, con like just conversations with other students, doing what pro-life activists usually do, which is is talking to other people, sharing the sorts of things that you just shared with us. And so when did uh, the whole episode where you had a run-in with Ryer University begin? So it kind of started in two different stages. So from the very first time we were on campus, we faced hostility and um censorship from student union employees that very quickly escalated into a lot of security incidents, whether that was stealing stealing property beginning into student union building, whether that was throwing water on those who were sharing a pro-life message, um, just kind of every level of from theft to, to assault, every level of hostility. Um, for example, I was um, confined Rapidly wrapped in a banner and confined to a point where I couldn't move while trying to share the mess, share its pro life message. Um, but that was all kind of happening on the street while we were exercising our quick constitutional right freedom of expression in order to share a pro life message. Where things kind of changed at Ryerson and why um, I ended up filing a human rights complaint is so in the winter of 2017, I went to um, I went to access a student union meeting, which was a meeting for um, for female students on campus. And going to that meeting, I was told that because I'm pro-life and the student union has a pro-choice policy, I can't access the student union resources that my tuition was paying for. So let's just give a few clarifying details for listeners who might not be as familiar with campus life. What is a student union for those who don't know? 
So the student union um, is a group, uh, so it's led by students who are elected. Usually our elections have, I think the last one's had about like 2% voter participation. So they're elected by a very small group of students and they are guaranteed funding from, so at the time, so this has changed slightly by the time we're speaking about in 2017, all students at Ryerson have to pay tuition fees, which go directly to the student union to govern. And they're supposed to govern that in support of services that represent the students and that the students um, request. Um, so student union executives kind of have a full-time job during that, as well as they have other full-time staff who they can hire who are not who are not necessarily students, as well as the wealth of kind of student volunteers who get involved in various ways. So when you say that while you were doing pro-life outreach and having discussions uh, with with other students and you're describing having water chucked on you, you're describing being wrapped in a banner which would pin your arms, these sorts of things, was this done by the student union with the support of the student union or were they just simply looking the other way and letting this happen to you? So they were definitely not looking the other way. Um, so most of, so said I have personally filed and other friends who have filed <sighs> upwards of a dozen various security reports of ours in various incidents. Um, some of those are from ran random passerbys, but the bulk of them are from student union volunteers and student union staff. Um, the student union passed a motion while this was going on because they had to say they had student union employees who while they were working for the student union were instead of supporting students students were instead on the streets trying to block our message by whatever means necessary um and so during the student union meeting they passed a motion to clarify that while those staff were doing that that they will be paid for doing so um so these weren't a lot of them weren't volunteers, either they are students who are getting paid by a student union or full-time staff who weren't even rising students who are getting paid by a student union and who are engaging um, in, for example, stealing our property, being in student union buildings. Um, person who threw water at some of my friends was a student union representative. Most of the people who stole were also student union representatives and helped by other student union representatives. So let's uh, just, I just want everybody who's listening to be very clear as we move into what your, your complaint against Ryerson is all about and where you're at right now with that. Is a student union is a group of students elected by a handful of other students, and the money that they get paid is taken out of the tuition of all the students, including you and any other pro-life students who are also interested in discussing abortion with their fellow Ryerson students or passers-by. And they took that money that they got from students and they paid people to interfere with your freedom of speech while talking about a controversial issue on a campus of all places. So they took that money and literally used it to buy a sign with a giant arrow that says you don't even go here so they could point that sign at me and other full-time students who are doing pro-life outreach. So there's a layer of, of deception to it as well. So what was the next layer? You go to this meeting. Um, for uh, to access student services that you pay for, and you were told that because the student union, elected by about two percent of the students, is not going to allow you to participate in a student program because they disagree with you on an issue that I assume the university itself doesn't take a stance on, and even if it did, uh, both freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, and of course freedom of inquiry, it is a university after all, should uh, should not make null and void. Yeah, I find it interesting um, that you say the university should be a place with these kind of views. I, we should go back and touch on what 
Ryerson's vice president's views were on that um, when he went for, to him for help in this manner. But basically, so after that, um, after it's asked to leave, so I complied, I left and spoke with um, vice president of equity, sort of student union representative in charge of these meetings. And the first thing we kind of spoke about is clarifying that I did not bring up abortion at this meeting. I had no intention to. Um, there's lots of places I can exercise my charter rights to share my views about abortion. I was going to this meeting because I wanted to get involved in other causes, particularly um, particularly because I wanted to get involved in initiatives to combat rape culture on campus. Um, so I clarified that and she told me like, okay, it doesn't really make sense to me either. Went to go speak with her manager. They had a conversation. I was brought back into the room and I was told that because I'm an executive for Ryerson Students for Life, I can't attend any student union services, which is very ironic because Spires and Students for Life is the pro-life club that one, the student union bans, they, they don't exist anymore, and two, I've never even been a member of. Um, so a club that I've never been a member of that doesn't exist because I was supposedly on exec deck for it, I couldn't attend any student union services. So this extended to the meeting I was at that night, but also extended to student union office support for students with disabilities. Um, so even though I have recognized disability, I received accommodation from for, from the university, I couldn't access student union supports with other students with disabilities. So let's uh, let's move in this step by step. So what was your move after you got turned down from participation in something that you happened to pay for? So my first concern, because so I was the most well-known student by student union staff speaking about abortion. I was not the only student involved for our group. So my first concern is why to, it's a really humiliating thing to be asked one of your peers to have to leave a me meeting. So I want to know how this is going to affect other members of our pro-life group. So I clarified if student union um, staff, um, okay, so talked about what if we had, um, one of the questions I asked, what if we had another student who, didn't like me, never held a sign on campus, never shared their polite place in that way, but just could be associated with us and had conversations with people about abortion. Again, never holding a sign of any kind, um, whether that's an ultrasound image or abortion victim photography. And I was told that if they're associated with me, then well, the reaction would be the same. Um, so this ban wasn't just applied to me, it was applied to anyone who could be perceived as being pro-life or associated with someone who's pro-life. And so then let's let's start getting into into the complaint. What happened next? While this was going on, so in the complaint, we've the claims against both Ryerson Students Union as well as Ryerson University. And the reason that is so before going to Ontario Human Rights Tribunal, I tried to first to seek help from the university. Um, so we did that through filing student code conduct complaints as well as security reports. Um, and in April of that same year, I hosted an event which was approved by the university, um, which brought speakers, speakers who were poor supported themselves in order to share their stories. So the event was sanctioned by the university, went through the proper um, approval procedures. And during that event, we had student union staff show up who said, um, disrupted the event and they were asked um, to stop disrupting it by university employees. Their comment was, I'm not protesting it, I'm shutting it down. And the only answer they would take is that event being shut down. And the university's response to that, after they 
tried to reason with them, failed to reason with them, is they forced me to end the event early. Um, of course, that wasn't enough for student union employees who then, so we had ended the event early, speakers left, all the signage left, everyone who wasn't a Ryerson student who was volunteering left, me and some other Ryerson students stayed within the building, which is basically our student campus center, so like Central Hub on campus. They protested our presence in that building and instead of intervening and protecting us in any way, student union administration forced us to leave our student, our student, um, student campus center at the demands of student union employees, most of whom weren't even students at this point. So how did you make the decision to actually just challenge what the student union was doing directly? So I'd say the decision I made wasn't to challenge the student as much as I thought abortion is something we're speaking about. And I don't, and them not wanting to speak about it wasn't enough of a deterrent that I was going to stop reaching out to those who might be hurting. So let's get into the details then. Where are, where is your case right now and how did you get from the scenario you described to where you are now? Walk us through the steps. Okay, so before going to the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal, I tried to seek help within the university. So after that event told you about, I myself and another Ryerson student actually met with the president, well, the vice president of Ryerson University, just to asked to be treated equally, asked to be treated the same way other students were being treated, were, were being treated, asked to be protected equally. Um, during that meeting, it was very, very discouraging. Um, we basically got asked on how to again why we came to campus to share a pro-life message. Um, my friend clarified that, okay, if you think a university campus isn't an appropriate place to share this message, where else would be a more appropriate place? Where else would be an appropriate place to have conversations about controversial topics? And the response we got back was vice, vice president of Ryerson University said that this is an issue he's been struggling with. And after musing for a little while, he said, well, I don't really understand why people think that universities are the place to come and share their beliefs. Like, understand that happens inside the classroom. I don't know why people have this expectation that they should be able to share their, belief, their beliefs on a university campus outside of the classroom. Um, so just a complete not comprehending the purpose of and the purpose and history of universities. Um, from the highest highest level of administration within, within Ryerson University. Um, so after going through that meeting, realizing that there were no more avenues I could turn to for help within the university, I went to the Human Rights Tribunal um, and fi filed a complaint. Um, so that's where this complaint is. So the complaint was filed originally in 2017. Um, the response we got back through the complaint is from the Board of University and Student Union as they claimed that my pro-life beliefs are merely political and political beliefs aren't protected under the Ontario Human Rights Codes. So basically, they claimed we didn't discriminate against Talia, but if we did, we did it just because of her political beliefs, which aren't protected, so it's not really wrong. Um, the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal scheduled a preliminary hearing to look at the question of whether so my claim is that my pro-life beliefs are founded on my creed based on my Christian faith. Um, this is something that the Ontario Rights Tribunal has never definitively ruled on whether or not pro-life beliefs fit the definition of, of creed. Pro-lifers 
I think most polyphos will understand how crucial and how central to our identity our polyph beliefs are. Um, so the Human Rights Tribunal scheduled a preliminary hearing to look at that, to answer that question. Um, and this past January, we got back an incredibly positive ruling, um, which ruled definitively that pro-life beliefs, um, the applicants of my pro-life beliefs um, as a tenant of my Catholic faith meet the criteria for creed under the Ontario Human Rights Code. And so what does that mean for, for the pro-life movement and for pro-lifers on campus? So what, what I'm probably so excited about this ruling is because it kind of proves what pro-lifers have been claiming all along, that this our pro-life beliefs aren't just some preference or something that we can, um, just some individual preference that we can give up or get rid of at a, at a whim, but this is something that is central to our identity, um, something that's part of, many pro-lifers, something that's part of our faith, central to our identity, um, and just foundational to who we who we are and how we perceive the world. And the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal has, through this ruling, helpfully agreed that this is pro-life beliefs um, are something that you cannot be discriminated on. So the same way I can't be discriminated from services because I'm Black, I can't be discriminated from services because I hold have a pro-life creed. So uh, what come what comes next? Because I know that this case is still ongoing, and that's one of the reasons that we were going to chat today is kind of to let the Canadian pro-lifers, but any pro-lifer really listening to this, where this case is at. So what's next? So basically we found that pro-life beliefs can count as creed. We're going to a full hearing. We'll have to look at whether whether I was discriminated against based on my pro-life creed. So look at all the evidence that we've collected through all these incidents I've been telling you about. Um, so waiting to be scheduled for a full hearing. And in the meantime, um, also we're working on fundraising. So unlike the student union, I can't demand tuition, tuition fees from all students to go to Ryerson, whether or not they agree with me. So while student union university have a lot of funding to rely on to fund this legal case moving forward, um, we are crowdsourcing, we are crowdfunding, cover the legal costs so we can get to a full um, get to a full hearing. And where can people find that to help you out? So the easiest way to find it, you can go to defendtalia.ca. So that's defend T-A-L-I-A dot C-A. Um, American listeners can also go to defendtalia.com. Okay, give a give a pitch for somebody who supports pro life causes and is wondering, especially in Canada. Okay, there's been there's been a lot of cases like uh, that that involve free speech on campus that involve the pro life issue in general. We've won some, we've lost some. I've been on campuses where we won them. I've been on campuses where we lost them. Why is this case particularly important? So, I think for a couple of reasons. Um, so. The reason why we went through to the Ontario Human Rights Commission, um, sorry, the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal, um, as opposed to the other avenues which we could go for legal for legal claims because of discrimination. Um, so there are ongoing civil cases at Ryerson related to the fact that um, pro-lifers were assaulted, assault, violently assaulted just for sharing their beliefs. There's other avenues, um, kind of looking at that type of censorship and, disc and discrimination, what I experienced, which is so chilling that those in power, power will be able to do that, is I wasn't, 
I was denied the right to be able to share my beliefs peacefully, but I was only denied that right. I also was denied access to really crucial services. So one of the services I was denied access to was support for healing sexual assault. So because I'm pro-life, that's one of the services they said that I it would be inappropriate for me to seek out that help. Um, and so I think this goes beyond just mere censorship on campus. So even though that's a part of it, it goes to should those in power, should student union employees with power be able to deny access to services to students whose personal beliefs they disagree with? That aspect of your case is, oh, I've always found it hard to believe. What was their justification for denying you access to services like the ones you've just described? What was their justification? It seems so cold-blooded that it seems like the kind of a, like the, a caricature that a pro-lifer would make up about a pro-choice person, but it actually happened. What was their defense of that? So the service I was talking about actually was held jointly held by both the student union as well as the university. So I reached out, I asked if I would be allowed to go to the event. I received back via email, which is one of the hardest ways to receive this kind of information that would be inappropriate for me to attend that event. Um, Afterwards, so through a freedom of information request, I've gotten hold of the email student union employees sent to sent to the university regarding basically arguing that I should be denied access to this event. And what I find like so just mind-boggling and hard to believe is in their own emails and describing the reasons why I should be denied access to their event, they um they acknowledge that I've agreed not to share my pro-life beliefs, or as they would phrase it, um, I think they said either my anti-choice beliefs during this event, but they're not sure of whether my mere presence would make the space, space unsafe for other students. So they acknowledge that I agreed not to share my beliefs at this event, but it was just the threat of my presence that people might, um, my presence would disrupt space so much for others for other students that because I'm pro-life, I don't, I don't deserve to get that same help. So just so that the listeners understand this, um, let me let me rephrase it, put it back to you, and you can tell me if I'm uh, uh, phrasing this accurately. Uh, a pro-life student at Ryerson who has experienced sexual assault wanted to do, attend an event to seek help for that, and because you are pro-life, they said you were not allowed to attend. Yeah. Um, I think on that something I also discovered the freedom of information request. So the office within the university to offer these events, they say, look on the webpage, consent from first office. Um, they say that confidentiality is crucial to survivors feeling safe and be able to seek out help and resources and that information shared with the office is confidential. Because I'm pro-life, when they got this request, rather than keeping, rather than either reaching out to me with any sort of response or even just keeping this information confidential, what they did, they sent it to the vice provost of students. Um, so the same person who who, when I made the met with her, would fail to follow up on any of my code conduct complaints for students who stole, like, stole from me. Without my knowledge and without my consent, she was told that I was a survivor of sexual assault. And I wasn't even informed that they were taking that information to her. Is there anything that can be done to redress that? So freedom of information request, we're still trying to get all the documents from that office. So that's one thing we're moving um, moving forward on. And we're looking into that as well, because this is an office that promises survivors confidentiality because they know survivors need that in order to be able to go, in order to be able to feel safe to come forward and seek help. But at the same time, 
no other reason that because someone else because someone else claimed there as pro life um, violated that trust and didn't even have the decency to tell me is hey by the way these are the people in university who now know that you've been raped. After dealing with all the things that you've dealt with at the hands of the university simply for being pro-life, do you regret doing the activism in the first place? Do you wish you would just hunker down and enjoy a quiet life as a student instead? So this isn't something that I like speaking publicly about. And I feel like I've done a lot more public speaking about it in the last little while than I would have otherwise chosen. Um, but I don't regret it. And one thing I'm thinking about is so... Recently, I had the opportunity to share the story with just over a thousand Christians at an event. And it was the first time speaking to more than 10 people about the fact that I've been sexually assaulted. And I was really scared going into that event and just going through the story because this is something both what happened to me, but also the huge victory that we won is something that other Christians, other lifers need to know. Um, and after that event, um, a woman came up to me and she said that she thanked me for speaking and she said, we need to talk about this more. And I thought she was talking about abortion and she clarified that she was talking about sexual, sexual assault abuse that she experienced as a child. And I wouldn't have wanted the fact that I sexually assaulted was something that's included in a legal complaint, something that I now was forced to make public in order to be able to seek, um, in order to be able to hold those who mistreated me accountable. But the fact that I can now start to be a safe space where we can have more of these conversations and that more survivors feel safe enough to be able to come forward, I, it, is, it is worth the difficulty I've gone through. One more time, where can people find uh, find your case so that they can, they can lend a hand? So it's defendtalia.ca and that's defendtalia.ca. And for Americans, same thing, but .com. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Talia Batista, a pro-life activist who is fighting for her rights at the Ontario Human Rights Tribunal. I hope you enjoyed this show. If you want to get more shows like this or check out past shows, head over to lifesightnews.com. Click on the podcast tab. You can find our show there. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you'll join us again next week.